Welcome, everyone. My name is Paul Carroll. And for the next hour or so, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my experience as the father of an autistic child. And the reason why, and I'm such a fan of Shenrod, Shannon Penrod in this channel, is because we do a wonderful job of really raising awareness around autism. But in my own experience as the father, fathers are somewhat of a um, invisible voice in this community. When I say invisible, that's not to marginalize certainly what we as dads do, but there are certain archetypal um, frameworks that come into mind. So number one, I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience as the father of an autistic child, and then talk a little bit about how dads can get deeper engaged in the community. So while I do my intro, if I may ask our producer to pull up a PowerPoint, I'm a big fan of visuals for our audience. I would love to see that because I do have a story to tell in terms of my own experience and the creation and catalyst of autismdadvocate.org. There we go. Thank you so much. So look at, I'm wearing the same jacket. It's a little hard to see, but I'm wearing my autism advocate uh, t-shirt. So that is what I'm here to talk to you about. Oh, there we go. So may I ask you to move to the next slide, please? My name again is Paul Carroll. I have a, uh, a website community called autismdadvocate.org. Before I tell my story, I completely invite you to leverage the chat window as much as you possibly want. I love to hear from viewers, listeners, hear your questions. Feel free to make comments, reactions at all, because I love a level of engagement. So let me give you a little bit of background on me. Again, my name is Paul Carroll. I work at a, as an executive director in uh, HR at a major pharmaceutical company. So I always see an intersection between the work I do uh, professionally and the work I do on the side for Autism Advocate. So I'm a big photo person. So you see some of the photos up there, um, creating my website. Oh, it looks like they're, uh, we're, we're in main screen now, but through the amazing work I've done through autismdadvocate.org, and when I say amazing, just the, the blessings and gratitude I've received, um, I've had the opportunity to meet Holly Robinson-Pete. You see her photo in the top right corner. You see a little bit about my Autism Advocate logo. And I share that with you only from the standpoint of what an amazing experience to meet her, um, who is such a rock star in our community. So. I'll share in just a moment a little bit about the website community that I've created called autismdadvocate.org and my podcast called the Autism Advocate Podcast because I am trying to reach this very, very hard to reach demographic, which is dads, 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 dads. And I don't know what it is, but in my own experience, we typically see our roles become very archetypal. Now, what do I mean by that? The mothers typically are primary caregivers, primary th therapy coordinators, and we as dads, perhaps we fall into a role as a breadwinner, and we fall into the role of maybe primary caregiver to the neurotypical children. And the challenge I have with that, that dynamic, is that you have a mother and father, even if they're living under the same roof, having vastly different experiences. So my motivation, if we can move to the next slide, 
is to really engage dads holistically. So let me share a little bit about my journey and I have no problem being authentic and vulnerable about the challenges I had. That is my amazing son, his name is Vaughn. He is just completely a miracle and I am so blessed to have him. He was not diagnosed until the age of 11. I knew something was different. In talking to his PCP, they would assure me, well, he has sensory processing disorder or some really, really, um, you know, ambiguous sort of rationale around some behaviors that I was seeing. Perhaps I was in a little bit of denial about it because my son was so wonderful and he did so many things well. The other thing I will add is I fell into the common trap of believing stereotypes, which I will address in just a moment. I have a cousin who has autism. And when I compared my cousin to my son, they were nothing alike. As we know, there's huge diversity in our community, which is why we use the term, there is a spectrum. Suffice to say, I was a little bit in denial until age 11 when we, my wife and I, worked extremely hard, as you all know, to try to get a diagnosis. I could spend the whole hour talking about the complexity of our healthcare system and how challenging that was to do, but I will not bore you. Suffice to say, my experience was very similar to others. So if you can move to the next slide. You know, I, I, when I hit this point, I hit what I call the valley, May of 2018. So a few things were happening at that time of my life, um, which really contributed to the valley. My son had been diagnosed, um, and I was still struggling to understand the implications of it. He also had... Um, some behaviors that maybe led me to think that he could have some comorbidities. At one point, it was entirely possible that he might have epilepsy. That was unfounded. I was also having major challenges at work, uh, heavy, heavy workload, and I was having issues in my extended family, particularly a sibling that had addiction. Now, why am I telling you this? I am telling you this because when I hit the valley, I did not have a community of support, a tribe, reliable people that I could go to to say, look, I am struggling. My son is diagnosed. I have all these other things going on. And it really led to the catalyst of Autism Advocate. I could not find a community of support specifically for dads. And so therefore, if I can't find it, I will create it. So if we can move to the next slide, that was the catalyst for Autism Advocate. If I may have you move to the next slide. As I said, if I could not create it, I am going to, if I cannot find it, I am going to create it. So may I ask you to move to the next slide, please? Um, Autism Advocate was created about my own experience as a one-stop shop for dads and what i mean by that is if i'm a father who there we go thank you so much who just learned that my child is diagnosed where can i go so ashamedly i will confess to you that i did what every father does when their child is diagnosed i did a google search right 
And in your in the chat window, if any of you are are have your own experience, please type in the chat window. What was your first reaction when your child was diagnosed? Did you do what I did? A Google di uh, Google search, which is the most foolish, reckless thing I could have ever done. So. Why am I telling you this? Autism Advocate was born out of that one-stop shop. So you, what you see here on the slide are some screen prints of what I'm doing with Autism Advocate. It is a safe place just for dads where we can be real about our experience as the father. Now, there are amazing resources out there for parents of autistic children. The uniqueness of what I tried to create with Autism Advocate is before we talk about your son, before we talk about your daughter, let's talk about you. Let's talk about you as a dad, your unique experience, the challenges you are facing. That's step one. Step two, then we talk about your child. It is the classic metaphor of when you're on an airplane. Put the oxygen mask on yourself first, once you've got that on, put the oxygen mask on your child. So what have I put on Autism Advocate? There are stories of my own experience, uh, blog posts, my podcasts geared specifically to topics for dads. And through my, some of my work, like I said, I've had some amazing guests like Holly Robinson-Pete. I've had um, Rodney P, her husband on as well. I've had Shannon Penrod on, as we know, who is an absolute superstar. But I'm really trying to create a safe space for dads to get real. So to our listeners, if you are a dad, check it out. By all means, reach out to me. If you are a mom, by all means, recommend it to your husband, your boyfriend, anyone that you know that is, um, has, is the father of an autistic child, because I really do think it's important that we have that space. So if I may move to the next slide, because it really goes to something I believe very powerfully called tribe. We as men are not good in this space. Not as good as women, certainly. And what I mean by tribe is reaching out and seeking a community of support. Typically, my experience is when a mother learns that her child has been diagnosed, she connects, she reaches out, she looks for support. Women typically are extremely good at making those connections. Fathers, we don't really know where to go. Uh, the situation is complex. We retreat, we self-isolate, and we don't necessarily seek a tribe. So I can't recommend this book enough. Check out the video. There it is, it's in my bookcase called Tribe by Sebastian Junger. It is a remarkable book, I endorse it wholeheartedly. And the premise is that we are tribal creatures by nature. We are tribal creatures by nature. And so therefore, as men, it is okay to reach out and to sort of go to those tribal roots when, and I know I sound really flippant, but when we would thousands of years ago, hunt as a tribe collectively because only we could only hunt as a wolf pack you could never ever survive on your own the same is true in 2023 and when i think about my own experience as i shared with you the valley on may of 2018 i was isolated 
I was disconnected. I was desperately lonely. I did not have a tribe. So Autism Advocate is that online tribe of support with fathers who understand your unique circumstance. Because as fathers, I think we typically find that when we try to connect, try to reach out to friends, buddies, neighbors, siblings, cousins, what have you, it can feel even isolating because they don't understand our unique experience. And in just a moment, I'll talk a little bit about why that can be so isolating. So I cannot advocate tribe more. Another amazing book, and if you look at the video screen, it's called Together by Vivek Murthy. He is our current U.S. Surgeon General under our current president. He was also our Surgeon General under President Obama. And he wrote this remarkable book called Together that shared his experience as a physician. Why am I sharing this with you? Because underlying the root cause of so many physical health ailments he saw was loneliness, isolation. And the CDC has basically said, those that experience loneliness and isolation is equivalent to 15 cigarettes per day and can be even higher and more detrimental to your health than smoking or obesity. So I can, you will hear this drumbeat from me about how critical it is that we maintain connection. Okay, may I move to the next slide? Because I wanna talk more about why this is so important. As fathers, we have a common reaction to a diagnosis. I'll share with you not only my own, but what I hear from the autism advocate community. And I would love in the chat window, if any of you could share, if you're comfortable, what your reaction was to your son or daughter's diagnosis. It was a swirl and a complexity of uh, emotions. Uh, denial, for one. Uh, I don't know if my son was successfully diagnosed. Look at all the things he does. Uh, skepticism was another. Um, sadness. Frustration. Um, perhaps even a little bit of shame, which I am not proud of. Um, but I think we as fathers, that reaction to a diagnosis is what drives some of that isolation and disconnectedness we feel because we're in um, emotion overload. And unless we have really, really strong friendships or tribal connections, we don't know who to reach out to. Why does this matter? Because then we suffer alone. And we can go down some very, very dangerous roads. Uh, for example, May of 2018, I will share, I think at that point of my life, I had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And what I hear from the advocate community are very, very high rates of marital strain, of addiction, be it alcohol, uh, of mental health challenges as well. These are all pervasive in our community and I, I'm adamant about let's create a forum where it's safe for us dads. Okay, we can move forward to the next slide. Uh, boy, I'm getting really emotionally vulnerable to you, but that's what we're all about. This is what I call the six most common misperceptions about autism. And as I said, in my own experience, I was not forthcoming with a lot of people 
about my child's diagnosis because of many of the hurtful things that were said to me. So to our listeners, if you want to type in the chat window, if any of these resonate with you, or if you've heard others, but these are the ones that I've typically heard. Oh, Paul, I I'm familiar with autism. I saw the movie Rain Man. I saw the movie Temple Grandin. If you want to see me get really, really angry very quickly, just mention the movie Rain Man. I hate that film. I hate that film. I hate that film because of the pervasive stereotyping that it has created. So uh, if you've heard comments like that, you know that is such a one-dimensional or two-dimensional depiction of autism. <clears throat> and I will share with you, I'm not exactly happy with Hollywood and their depictions of autism in either cinema or television series because, as I said, it is so based in stereotype. Number two, people with autism don't feel empathy. Nothing could be further from the truth. But there is a stereotype of the stone-faced, blank, emotionalist, uh, aut autistic child, which we know is not accurate at all. In fact, that's why I struggled with my son's diagnosis because he is so empathetic and he is so affectionate. In fact, he reads and calls out body language quite well. Daddy, you look tired. Daddy, you look sad. Again, pervasive stereotype. Autism can be cured. Holy cow, if you do a Google search, who knows what you're gonna find? Uh, this, first of all, what do we mean by cured? Autism is just neurodiversity. And I always like to say, would we cure left-handedness? You're either right-handed or left-handed. There is nothing to be cured. Would we cure somebody who has red hair? That's in the minority. No, it's just part. I feel the same way about how we talk about autism. It just is what it is. It is neurodiversity. And I think we as fathers go on a journey of learning like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, cured or, you know, like what can we do to like really um, fix this situation? As fathers, we do that quite a bit. Which goes into the next one. You could be normal if you tried. Now, our children are all over the spectrum. Um, I would opt to say that my son is pretty um, highly motivated and high functioning. So there is a belief that, well, if he just tries hard enough, and dad, if you could just coach him to be more normal, then you wouldn't have you know, this perception of autism. And, and we know in our community, this leads to masking which can lead to mental health issues. So that is one that hurts me as well is, you know, you would never say to a child with diabetes, well, you could just maintain your blood sugar if you tried. We would never say to a child with epilepsy, well, you know, if you tried not to have seizures, you, you just got to put more effort in. But we do it to children with autism and it's completely unfair. Autistic people are good at math. They're savants. Uh, autistic children are not X-Men, according to Marvel Studios. Yes, some do have very unique uh, talents and abilities, which is wonderful, but it is a small minority of the population. And there's a perception that they're 
good with numbers. And certainly they have unique talents. My son is actually quite good at math, but I resent the belief that there is this like X-Men savant quality with all children. The last one is the new frontier for autism advocate, which is autistic people are difficult to employ. Neurodiversity in the workplace is gonna be a huge topic our community hears, not only now, but in the coming years. Recent CDC guidance suggests that one in 36 is born on the spectrum. 80 to 85% of young autistic adults are either unemployed or underemployed. And why that matters is because it is not that they don't have unique skills and talents, it is because of pervasive um, systems embedded within workplaces that make it very challenging. So I am bringing a good guest in just a few minutes that works with me, his name's Rick LaFerrier, because I wanna go deeper into this topic because it matters to us as fathers, as our children progress, and we need them to get to a level of autonomy and to be gainfully employed. Okay, we can move on to the next slide. Perhaps you've heard some of these stereotypes. They really are difficult for me to, uh, to swallow, but perhaps you've heard them. So if we can move to the next slide, please, a little bit more before we start talking about neurodiversity in the workplace. There we go. The other thing, reason why I created Autism Dadvocate is a safe place for dads to understand the dynamics on the relationship with your spouse, your partner. This is a pervasive statistic in our community. Uh, 75 to 80% of marriages end in marital separation or divorce. This statistic is really challenging for me to validate. I've looked for the citations and when I've looked for the citations, I get some dubious um, responses and there's other data to suggest it's lower than that. Regardless, regardless of the number, we know that having a child can be very, very challenging to the marriage itself. As I said, husband and wife, when we have a neurodiverse child, the roles can become very archetypal and there is a schism separation between husband and wife. I'm sharing this with you because Autism Advocate is about not only forgetting um, that you have play a critical role as a father, but you cannot neglect your wife or spar our partner in this um, very complex dynamic. And I have wonderful podcasts from Holly Robinson Pete and Rodney Pete where they share their experiences raising their son RJ and the differences between the two of them. So here's where I'd like to go. If we can move to the next slide, I'm so excited because we're hitting the bottom of the hour. So my guests will be coming shortly, but I'd like to get through this slide first because as fathers, we play a critical role. It is an honor to be a child of an autistic um, son or daughter. I am so deeply blessed to have my son. So before we move on to neurodiversity in the workplace, we talk about um, employment. These are six questions that I want every dad to ask himself about his experience. Probably good to do early in the morning with a cup of coffee <laughs> before you know the children or everybody wakes up. And if you look at, do I completely identify as a dad of an autistic child? What I mean by that is, is that my complete identity? 
it is easy to fall into that pattern. And I did at one time when my son was younger, where he was struggling with some of the behaviors. Um, the challenge with that is when we do that, our days are predicated on our child's behavior. My child has a good day. I have a good day. My child has a bad day. I have a bad day. Which goes into the one, how do I show up with my child? So I, as a father, need to lean in to whatever my son finds interesting. At one point, my son was obsessed with Mario Kart, the video game, and he would talk about it endlessly. So how I show up as a dad is to lean in and exhibit curiosity and interest in terms of what he does, even if we've had that redundant conversation. If my son is completely into NFL, QBR statistics, then that is where I lean in. But as dads, we, we show curiosity and interest in what our children do. How do I show up with my wife or partner? As I said, we occasionally neglect the marriage to the point where it may lead to strife, separation, or divorce. So as dads, we typically are not the best listeners. So when my wife is talking about her experience with my son, as opposed to interrupting or fixing, solutioning, I merely listen, lean in, and offer support. How do I intentionally recharge my batteries? This goes to what I said earlier about tribe, the need for connection. How do you recharge your batteries? Is it through fantasy football? Is it through golf? Is it through grabbing a beer with a friend? Is it through working in your wood shop? Whatever that thing is, make time for it because it is very, very hard to put gasoline in someone else's car when you're already on E. So carve out that time because what that does is then you can show up better as a father. A few other things, what are my personal values? I like to say, if I know what my values are, when it comes to a decision point, there is no decision. The decision is made. So for example, I am absolutely committed to being the best father I can. I also have a pretty demanding job. When, when one comes for the other, I de always default to my child. So I will close my laptop at a certain time. I will avoid working on the weekends when I can because I know that my son is the priority. And so if you I clearly identify your values, it helps with decisions. I'm a big advocate. If you've heard of the autobiography of Ben Franklin, he listed and articulated all of his values. And it was a seminal transition point in his life. And I've done the same thing. The last one is a heavy one. And I'm sorry this gets so heavy, but I always like to say, begin with the end in mind. I'm taking that from Stephen Covey. How do you want your child to speak at your funeral? Even if he or she is nonverbal. Because if you know the end state, that is how you as a dad will behave for the entirety of your life. So I hope my Vaughn speaks highly of the amazing experiences we've had together. So that drives a lot of my behavior now. So it, for our audience members, if you want to chat, I'd love to hear your responses or your thoughts behind that. Um, that would be great. Getting deeply reflective right now about the unique experience of us as fathers with our autistic children. Okay, 
we can move forward one more slide. And while we do that, I will take a sip of water. We will ultimately be transitioning to our topic around neurodiversity in the workplace. So if we can move forward one slide, please. And I'm hoping our guest is gonna be in the wings shortly. I'm bringing on a guest. Oh, one more thing before we brought our guest. Oh, how and where dads can lean to the community. As I said, this is a beautiful experience. I intentionally show, um, you know, emotionally charged photos of my son. When I look at them, it just stirs my heart. As you see there, I have a podcast episode with Rodney Peach. If you don't know who he is, he is a former NFL um, superstar. And he, I brought him on my podcast. So we as dads can get real, get authentic, get vulnerable about the true experience of fathers in this highly uh, complex dynamic. So dads, check out Autism Advocate. If you want, you can register on our mailing list. There is a contact section where you can reach out to me. Dads, we need a tribe of support. And if you don't have it in your local community, come to autismdadvocate.org. It is an online community of support and it is a great tribe to be a part of. Okay, with that, can we move forward one slide? I am getting really, really excited about our guest, his name is Rick Laferrier. So if I may ask our producer, we can actually bring Rick in. It looks like it's about 8.36 Eastern Standard Time. And so I'll do a short intro to Rick before he actually joins us. Rick Laferrier and I work at the same organization. We have a tribal connection as being the fathers of an autistic child. He will share a little bit about his experience and why I'm so delighted to bring Rick aboard is that Rick works in my company specifically around workforce initiatives for populations that we are trying to reach. And he can speak to a little bit about what we're doing around neurodiversity in the workplace. As I said, this is the new frontier of autism uh, because we have a tight, tight labor market and we have 80 to 85% of young autistic ad uh, adults that are unemployed or underemployed. What an opportunity to bring those together. So to our producer, if we can bring Rick into the show, I'd love for him to share his story. Hey, there he is. Hello, Rick. I Good am morning, delighted Paul. that you are part of, of this amazing tribe. So I'd love to turn it over to Rick. He's gonna share a little bit of his story, his journey, and then he and I are gonna talk a little bit about Neurodiversity, neurodiversity in the workplace. So Rick, the floor is yours. Oh, thanks, Paul. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to all of you out there, um, all of you that are a part of this very uh, special community that Paul and I are so fortunate to be a part of. And, um, I, you know, I want to share something with the audience. Um, you know, Paul and I both work for uh, CVS Health, the fourth largest company in the United States. And um, we have over 300,000 employees across the country. Paul is known so well throughout our organization as the foremost and premier advocate um, for, uh, for autism and his story and how he tells it and how he connects with folks across a giant organization is truly inspirational. And so I, I, I could not be more proud to know Paul. Um, Paul and I um, 
uh, also graduated from Boston College. So not only are we, are we fellow New Englanders, but we are fellow BC Eagles. We are colleagues. We are friends. We are uh, friends on this journey with um, with uh, autistic children. I'll share with all of you a little bit about my journey. Um, and uh, my son, uh, Tyler, is now 11 years old. And in fact, I popped into this podcast uh, about 825 because uh, I had just returned from dropping him off at school, um, which um, I love doing. Uh, I love to bring him to school. I walk him to the door every day. Um, we have done that every day since he was three years old. Uh, when he first started going to his current elementary school. And it's a very special time for me and him because it's the time that we get to chat. Uh, uh, windshield time, as we call it, and then all walking all the way up to the door is filled with talking about baseball generally, which is uh, my son Tyler's favorite thing to talk about. And, um, and I think back to the first time that I walked into that school with my son Tyler when he had just turned three. And my son was nonverbal at that time. Um, he was diagnosed with autism when he was a year and a half old um, and um, had spent a great deal of time um, with the wonderful professionals at Massachusetts General Hospital here um, and uh, neurologists who um, put him through a, a series of evaluations. And during those evaluations, starting when he was a year and a half old, I can remember um, him just simply not being able to, to participate in the evaluations. Um, it was too much for him, and um, it was a it was a very difficult time for me and and at the time my wife um, and um, we didn't quite know what to do. Um, we we were learning that he was um, first at first um, you know diagnosed with autism and that um, that he was going to face some challenges was very difficult for for quite some time for us. Um, and for those first six months up until he was two years old, um, it was a time of, of just questioning, wondering, wondering what the future would look like, wondering what he would grow up to become, all of those questions that, that families ask uh, when they first learn that their child is diagnosed with autism. And um, it, was, it was very difficult. It was, it was a struggle. Um, fortunately, and I think Paul would probably agree with this, we live in a, a state here in Massachusetts that is extremely supportive of families with ch children with autism. And um, my son began early intervention services the day he turned two years old. And he received in-home services five days a week from the amazing folks who support early intervention here in Massachusetts. And it was the start of momentum that would eventually um, turn into the positive momentum that we needed to believe that everything was going to be okay and that Tyler was going to find his own way in this world and we were going to be a part of it and he was going to see the world through his eyes and we were going to join him as we saw the world through his eyes. And what we learned about Tyler in the first year is that Paul is that uh, Tyler loved railroad crossings. He loved railroad crossings. He would express to us that he and and we lived down the street at that time from 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 a railroad crossing. He loved it. He loved seeing the trains go by. He loved seeing the lights and the gates and all of this going down. And so we leaned into taking him down to see the railroad crossings. 
and he would smile and he'd be happy. And at that time, we began to to dig into learning uh, how to do um, sign language with him so he could communicate with us. And one of the things I remember is coming, walking down to the, the railroad tracks when he's two and a half years old, and we'd, we'd see the train go by, we'd see the, the train, we'd see the, the railroad crossing go down, and he would do this to us. More, more. And so we're like, okay, we're going to come down here every 45 minutes when this train comes by. And we did. We went down every 45 minutes to see the train go by, and it delighted him. It was part of his growth journey, and we leaned into it with him. Then he turned three, and then he went to the school that he currently goes to. This is his ninth year going to his elementary school. And across those nine years, he has spent time with the most amazing professionals I could ever imagine having supportive in his life. We've been through iterations of IDPs that started with um, almost nonstop service while he was in school all the way through until today when um, he has now um, two, two items on his IEP. Um, his growth is remarkable. And it's because of the community of support that we've felt that he's had at his school, living here in the state of Massachusetts, have helped to provide to him. Um, and today, um, my son still loves a good railroad crossing. He's learned to love baseball. Um, he is obsessed with baseball. He loves everything baseball. He loves the Red Sox. I'm sorry to you Yankee fans out there. He loves the Red Sox and he does not like the Yankees. I'm sorry. Uh, he has learned to not like the Yankees and he's like a good Red Sox fan. Um, but baseball is his number one love. And he plays baseball now six days a week. He was the captain of his baseball team last year. If you had asked me 10 years ago, is your son going to be the captain of his town's baseball team? I would say, I can't see that. He's the captain of his baseball team last year. So throughout this journey, I've learned, Paul, that um, that you bring your whole self to your child and you let your child be who they're going to be. You love your child. You support your child. You give them everything that you talked about during your presentation. Your child will flourish and will give back and you'll have your tough days and you'll have your great days. The great days outnumber the tough days. And those tough days I can smooth through because I see a child who loves his life who sees his life the way he wants to and knows that his parents, although his parents are now divorced, but both support him and support his journey. His life is now through his, his, his eyes, through his lens, and it's a joy for me to be a part of it. So, Paul, I, I appreciate a few minutes just to share my story and my journey with him and um, how much it means to me. And um, we'll talk soon here about the connection to my work, which is fairly um, remarkable um, in that I was doing this work before my son was even born, yet um, my current work <laughs> is so so meaningful and um, so connective to, to, my own, to my own journey with my son. And, and so, Rick, uh, like my soul is filled right now with this story. And I know it, but you went to a level of detail, um, which, and, and just so many things that you said landed with me and I think landed with the, the the dad community a few things one is the challenge like when your son was diagnosed but what I love and what's so inspiring is how you've leaned into the uniqueness of your son the beauty the miracles there the fascination with the railroads the sign language 
you know, the, the, the interest in baseball. These land with me. My son was into the Arabic alphabet at one point. He is obsessed with football. But what I love is when you ended your story, you talked about he is the captain of the baseball team. And you said that he was nonverbal at one point. So I would ask any of the fathers that are watching this episode, understand that where your child is, is a place in time. And I hope you can look to Rick and me and say, there are miracles ahead for you. So thank you, Rick. Yeah, thanks, Paul. You know, I, I want to add one more thing too, because uh, you mentioned something and it made me think of something. You know, uh, my my son, um, his journey has been amazing and, 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 and each child with autism's journey is different and amazing in its own regard. My, my son has a friend at school um, who's one of his best friends. And um, he, he too um, has autism. And um, he is, my son is so aware of his, of his own journey. Amazingly at 11 years old, my son's aware of his own journey so much that he, he understands his friend Zayden's journey too. And he sees Zayden um, as um, a great friend, but my son believes that he's a role model and a mentor for him too. And I, I, I often wonder where that came from. Um, but I think it's testament, Paul, to how we, it's making me emotional. Um, it, it's testament to how we as dads can, 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 be, can be an example for our own sons that our sons can take with them. And can surprise us with. And my son has surprised me at so many turns. And the fact that my son's a captain of his baseball team, the fact that my son now looks at himself as a model and a mentor to one of his best friends who is also autistic, he may someday understand that better. It's amazing how much he understands it now, but I see it and it's, it's just, it is a miracle to me. So I just wanted to share that too. This is so crazy inspiring um and just reinforces like as fathers what we lean into and what we see is is truly miraculous um love the story of tyler and it's just interesting to me uh rick that he has a level of self-awareness which is remarkable that he is a role model for his friend um again these everyday miracles that just knock us off our chairs. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you know, I, I, one more thing too, Paul, and then we'll dive into the employment piece here, but uh, you know, for dads out there, um, you know, it, it was very important to me um, throughout Tyler's journey to make sure that I was at every single meeting with Tyler's educators, with his support team, both inside and outside of school. And he continues to receive support external to school um, from a social perspective that's been amazing to him. I, I, I've been at nine straight IEP meetings uh, each year, every check-in, um, every opportunity to speak to his support professionals. Um, that to me has allowed me to stay as connected as I possibly can and know who is supporting my son. And so, um, 
like you, Paul, I have a demanding job, but I always make sure and I have wonderful support from my leader to do what I need to do. Make sure you're there. Make sure you're there. Be a part of it. Um, it's, it's, it's critical. It will fill you up, but it will also show the folks around you that, that the support that you want to provide to your son, your daughter is there. Rick, you're such a good role model for like how important it is that as dads, we lean into that experience. We don't say, okay, let's trade off mom. You attend the IEP meeting. I will attend the business professional meeting. So thank you. What great role modeling. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Okay. Oh, I want to stay there, but Rick, you and I are so passionate about this topic around neurodiversity in the workplace. We both are so blessed to be in roles where we can influence this at the organization. Rick, I'm not sure when you joined, but I was sharing some of the sobering stats around unemployment and underemployment of those with autism. So can you just share a little bit about what you've observed in your role in workforce initiatives, where sort of we as a, you know, HR or late organizations need to, what we need to do to really capitalize on this amazingly talented workforce. Yeah, thanks Paul. And and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to tie it together with a call to action at the end of my comments. And so wonderful. Uh to 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 hopefully hear from folks out there uh who may be inspired by this and want to bring it to their workplace. Um I I alluded to this in my in my comments, but I'm very fortunate because um what I do ties into um the the journey with my son. And um I have been with CVS Health for over 30 years. I started with this company as a cashier when I was in high school. Here I am today and very fortunate to be a part of our workforce initiatives team. And um, Paul and I are both part of our company's HR organization. And um, my part of the HR organization is extraordinarily unique in that our team um, all day, every day, partners with community-based organizations that provide employment services and supportive services um, government agencies that do the same, such as vocational rehabilitation, and then the educational community, high schools, community colleges, who are preparing students for um, the workforce. And so I've been a part of this team for 15 years, predates my son's birth. Um, for me, um, when I started on this team, I, I leaned very deeply into working with um, the disability employment community had the great fortune of working with the amazing professionals here in Massachusetts at the Massachusetts Rehabilitation Commission and other amazing organizations here in Massachusetts and across New England that were preparing individuals for the world of employment, for independence, to overcome a barrier that's preventing someone from being gainfully and competitively employed. And for those of us who've, 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 who understand this, you know, this, what it's looked like over the years for people with disabilities in general and people who are neurodivergent, there's been nothing but barriers placed in front of, of individuals who are trying to access the world of competitive work. And um, thankfully, we've evolved a bit as a society over the years in terms of helping individuals achieve and unlock their own potential. Our team is part of unlocking that potential. Our team is a part of helping people overcome barriers that are making it challenging for them to, to achieve employment. And for me, I've, I've spent a lot of time working with individuals with disabilities, individuals who are autistic, individuals who are neurodivergent, to be able to help them unlock 
what's within them to get to work. And that's done collaboratively with our own, with our own team, the support of our company, and working with community-based organizations and those in the in the community who advocate for people with disabilities, putting all of our resources together to help individuals get the skills that they need and identify the barriers that are in front of them to help them unlock that potential and get a job. And I will tell all of you out there that um, it, I understand that it can be a struggle to find supportive services for your children, for your family, to help them overcome those barriers. But help is out there. There are, there are amazing organizations out there that are doing some tremendous things. And as an employer that is supportive in that space and something that's very important to me, um, we are there, but there are a number of other employers out there that are doing this great work. A lot of folks in the, in the IT community, in the tech community, the Microsofts, the Googles of the world, actually are posting positions right now that specifically are seeking individuals who are neurodiverse. You go and you look at the job descriptions and, it, and they are seeking individuals who are neurodiverse because the skill set matches what they're looking for. And so even though they're competitors, competitors of ours, when it comes to talent and we're all looking for talent, I'm proud to, to know that we have other supportive employers out there who are doing this great work. For those of you who are looking for that additional help, and as we come to the end of time here, I can say so much, but I'm just going to give you a little advice here. Seek help within your own community. If you have a child at school, find out if that school is doing something from a vocational perspective. There are a lot of schools out there that are exposing students to the world of work in a way that works for them. We partner with so many high schools that are doing great work for students who graduate at a traditional age and, and, and also students who go beyond the traditional age, helping put them into experiences, hands-on work experiences that can help them get the skills that they need to potentially get a job someday. And guess what? They're talented people. And for us as a team, we are seeking talented people to work in our organization. And guess what? Other companies aren't. For us, it's a competitive advantage. So the business case for us to be doing this is clear. So I can give you the business case from here. <laughs> I can give you the business case from here too. And how and, important and all of that is. Rick, I love what you're saying because, you know, there are organizations that don't understand the benefits of this amazing talent pool. Typically, fiercely loyal. High rates of retention. And typically compliant. And what I mean by that is, you know, occasionally we in HR here employees, well, oh, I don't like all these rules and policies and procedures. Neurodiverse colleagues typically love to play by the rules and can absolutely, especially in certain sectors, just outperform um, neurotypical colleagues. So we forget it, it's not just like perhaps just uh, a, a philanthropical or, or just an HR you know, untapped workforce, there are like crazy benefits to sourcing neurodiverse candidates, like you said, that some of the tech firms are doing now. Yeah. And, and, you know, Paul, to think about it this way, you know, we often talk about reflecting the communities we serve within our own organization and, and, and bringing folks into our organization that look like the community. I flip that around. I think about the community and I think about how much they can offer our own colleagues and a colleague that is neurodiverse, seeing 
their community come in and see them and see them in the workplace thriving and succeeding and them being empowered by that and them taking that and them being that mentor and that model, like I was talking about with my own son and saying, I can do this. So can you, and that positive momentum that we can, that we can build from simply giving folks a chance, giving them the tools they need, giving them a hand up towards employment, towards independence, towards success and thriving. Those partners are out there. Those employers are out there. We're, we're growing the numbers. We're getting people excited about this. We're getting excited about finding talent that others have not looked for in a non-traditional way. I want to challenge folks out there who work for organizations who are seeking talent, who are in their talent acquisition area, who are leaders in their organization. Think about finding talent this way. Think about finding talent a little differently than you're finding talent now. And think about working with organizations, supporting people who are neurodiverse and finding ways to spend a little more time and a little extra resources to help them find their way and potentially contribute positively to your company, contribute positively to your community, and also bring the power of positive thinking to your to the, their family and those around them. Yeah, and Rick, it's so interesting because there are so many positives and there is a stereotype that I addressed earlier around, well, don't we need to make accommodations to neurodiverse employees? And, and I think what we learned in the pandemic is we make accommodations essentially to every employee. <laughs> we really do. And, and the accommodations that we may make for neurodiverse colleagues are so small. Uh, and particularly in a climate that is also supportive of remote work, um, I always want to debunk the stereotype that, oh, it's a lot of work for the supervisor or manager to employ an autistic colleague. Simply not true. Nope. No. And you know what, Paul, on that too, the, the, the world of reasonable accommodations, one of the great things about the advancement of technology is that to your point, they're so simple. There's so many simple things we can do that all of us could benefit from that help someone get just what they need to succeed and thrive in the workplace. And so I'm grateful that the world of technology has helped to support assistive technology the way that it has and to open folks' eyes to that. Um, to your point, it's not as difficult as folks think, and it's not as difficult as it may have been 10, 20 years ago. It's easy. It's worth it to bring someone who's that talented in your organization and offer them the opportunity to succeed and thrive with just one or two simple little adjustments. Absolutely. So you can see that Rick and I are so passionate about this topic and our experiences, dads. I do recognize that we're one minute past the hour. Rick and I could talk endlessly <laughs> about these two okay. areas. So I know our producer is going to um, uh, transition, but I want to leave our audience with this. You heard me get deeply vulnerable and authentic about my experience as a father. You heard Rick do the same about his remarkable experience with Tyler. So to dads either listening live or watching the recording on our YouTube channel, I cannot underscore the criticality of tribe, of connection, of reaching out. Do not lone wolf it. Do not default to going through this experience on your own. Autism Advocate is your online community of support. It's your online tribe. It's a great fraternity to be a part of. So Rick, any final closing words? And then to our producer, if you wanna transition these two super passionate guys off, by all means do so. 
Yeah, Paul, grateful to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to talk. And thank you to all of you out there for listening and for allowing me and for Paul to be a part of all of this. I'm so grateful. And uh, Paul, grateful for the time here as well. And anyone out there wants to connect, please do. Um, this this is a tribe. And um, and and I'm, I'm so grateful to be a part of this tribe. Yeah, me as well. You're such an inspiration, Rick. And as we transition again, it's autismdadvocate.org. There are some great things planned this month. April is the most important month of the year and some big changes I'll be making in the future, but I'll save those for a future. So with that, uh, we can transition.